This week, we're presenting our mid-year outlook. How to invest, here's what matters. Live from New York City, I'm Lauren Goodwin, and this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we bring you the best insights from across the New York Life Investments platform because we believe that by sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of July 25th, 2022, and bear with us with a little bit of a different audio setup this week, because this week, as promised, is one big portfolio pause. Over the past two weeks, we've pulled some of the themes from our mid-year outlook, discussing when volatility might end in the U.S. and whether we're headed towards recession, and importantly, how our listeners can be on the lookout for turning points in both areas. As a reminder, the full outlook and our past podcast episodes and even an overview video can be found at newyorklifeinvestments.com under the insights tab. Yay for the portfolio pause pod. Our takeaway from our discussions of peak hawkishness and recession risk is that we still see volatility ahead, but in our view, it's still too early to position for an outright recession. So that presents a real conundrum about how to be defensive and how defensive to get in the latter part of this year. Two themes stood out to us as helping investors weather this environment. First, seeking defensiveness amid the market volatility we're seeing. And two, finding areas of potential resilience to inflation. We'll take those one at a time, starting with defensiveness. If we want to drive home one point today, it is that a full-blown defensive approach is just not appropriate for most investors. And by this, we mean a real hunkering down of moving to cash at its most extreme, or maybe it could look like going headlong into treasuries or other core bonds. That's right, because the issue with this type of approach, again, is that for most investors, depending on their risk tolerance and time horizon, this is a severe drag on wealth preservation over the long term. You've probably heard the old adage that time in the market is more important than timing the market. That's what we're talking about here. Yeah, and it might seem a little overused at times, but it is true and the data keeps backing it up. It really is. And that's because it's so hard to time the market. Even we professionals don't do it perfectly every time. And so if you're out of the market, it means that you're likely to miss the biggest recoveries and upswings from current levels, like the recovery we saw last week. There's also income to be missed out on if an investor is out of the market. By this, we mean the dividends on stocks and coupon payments for fixed income. And the reinvestment of those dividends really compounds returns over time. All right. So for most of you, remember, cash may create risks to long-term wealth too. Now that we've drilled that point down, let's think of how to position in a modestly defensive fashion while staying in the market. Perhaps our favorite defensive idea is a very simple overweight to value instead of growth within U.S. equities. Not only do we still see growth names as pretty expensive, even with the year-to-date price action they've suffered, but namely, growth names had a lot of earnings expectations pulled forward during the pandemic, benefiting from those stay-at-home themes as if they were permanent. Now that the world's returning more to normal, that tailwind is fading and earnings momentum has suffered for a lot of growth stocks. Think about home exercise and home entertainment companies. Gyms are back, movie theaters are open again. Our value overweight isn't just about concerns regarding growth equities. That is also a home to four of the most traditionally defensive equity sectors, real estate, utilities, staples, and healthcare. 
These are a bit expensive relative to historical averages, but should have the most resilient earnings as companies potentially face margin pressure later if inflation stays lofty and consumption continues to slow. Another way to position toward defensiveness is to trade up in quality. It's a huge theme that we've seen in action across almost all asset classes this year. Lots of portfolio managers, including some of the ones that we just talked to in our fixed income series, are applying this to their portfolios, including on our own team as well. What does quality actually mean for the average investor, though? So it probably depends, depending on the strategy. But generally, in equities, a high-quality lens tends to see companies that have higher profitability, lower earnings variability, and lower leverage or debt. In U.S. small cap stocks, for instance, the S&P 600 small cap index registers as higher quality along those measures versus the Russell 2000 small cap index. How does that same idea translate for fixed income? You know, I really enjoy thinking about the theme of quality within fixed income. So as our listeners know, we have discouraged investors from fleeing to those core bonds when inflation is high. The issue with that, though, is that core bonds are either government guaranteed, like treasuries, or they're investment grade corporates. So there's limited or no credit risk. And when you diversify out of core bonds and into high yield or floating rate loans, you are inherently adding some credit risk because those asset classes do include sub-investment grade categories. It's true, but more credit risk doesn't necessarily mean that those asset classes have wild or uncontrolled credit risk. First off, that's what fund managers are meant to be for, to make sure that the quality of a portfolio is in line with market conditions, or potentially higher quality than market conditions, depending on um, what's going on. But even in the benchmark indices for high yield, for example, over 60% of the index is in the highest non-investment grade rating of double B. So there's relatively solid quality even in an asset class that on as a whole would be considered lower credit quality, paired with a higher coupon rate than what treasuries have to offer. Yeah, that's such a good point. And I'm really glad that we're thinking about ways to challenge the 60-40 framework a little bit from the perspective of diversifying that core fixed income exposure. There's just one more point that I'd like to make about quality and acts as sort of a summary for this section before we move on to our next investment idea. And that's that the quality that we're describing is within asset classes, not among asset classes. By means of example, as we discussed with some of our fixed income specialists in recent podcast episodes, quality within fixed income might mean working with high yield managers that are targeting the higher credit quality end of the high yield spectrum with careful credit analysis. By contrast, it doesn't necessarily mean moving high yield exposure in a portfolio toward investment grade exposure. That speaks to our earlier points about vulnerability to inflation. Exactly. So then let's transition to our second big allocation theme. In addition to seeking modest defensiveness, as we've just described, investors can look for pockets of potential resilience to inflation. Julia, how do we do that? What does that mean in your view? So to me, it means that we don't always have to outrun or hide from inflation as investors. There are places where we can go with the grain of rising prices and maybe stop to take a breath for a second. So the most obvious example of how to do this would be through exposure to the energy and commodity complex. 
It's taken a hit recently for sure, but our team did a really interesting 60-year study, and it found that in times of high inflation, the commodity space as a whole has been more likely to serve as a hedge against stock market volatility. And on the fixed income side, we can go with the grain of rising interest rates with floating rate loans. True to their name, floating rate loans coupon adjusts with the Fed funds rate, the policy rate that the Federal Reserve is setting, including this week because it's Fed week, and this lowers their interest rate risk in a rising rate environment. A more structural argument for floating rate loans is that they have a solid track record of positive returns with only two years of negative returns over the last 30 years as a broad asset class. Nothing to sneeze at. And, you know, finally on this tour de force, we also like infrastructure, both bonds and equities. Infrastructure bonds can be a great way to diversify that core bond exposure, as we've been discussing throughout this episode, while infrastructure equities can provide cash flows that may move with inflation. The residential housing market is really feeling the pressure from rising interest rates as mortgage rates have risen. But in contrast, infrastructure can be a bit more stable when rates rise because those contracts are so long-term. And those contracts often also include inflation adjustments. Before we sign off, let's just acknowledge that all of these positioning ideas can seem a bit overwhelming. There are several of them, especially when price action is as wild as it's been. It can be hard to feel sure of when and what to buy and sell. So we encourage a very simple approach, including something such as dollar cost averaging. It allows investors to trickle the additional dollar into the market, often buying at a nice discount when we see volatility like we've been seeing, without having to pile into any one specific asset class wholesale. So the use of well-diversified asset allocation funds can also be a very useful tool in a time like this because those types of funds tend to handle the heavy lifting when it comes to diversifying, rebalancing, and managing risk. Coming up next, three important things to note. The first is that it's Fed week, our favorite week every six weeks. The second is that we have economic data, GDP or gross domestic product data coming from the Bureau of Economic Analysis this week. And if some of the tools that we were describing last week from the Atlanta Fed, or it's now cast, are correct, that data will suggest that the U.S. economy is already in recession. We expect a lot of investors will have questions about this. So there are already resources at NewYorkLifeInvestments.com to cover it. And third, coming up, we are very excited to announce that given all these different investment ideas that have come to the fore recently, we are going to be spending August focusing on investment ideas in equity. This will look similar to the investment ideas that we focused on in fixed income in recent several episodes. We'll go across the New York Life Investments platform to cover value versus growth equities, as well as real estate and infrastructure equity investing from truly seasoned portfolio managers. We look forward to seeing those soon. But that's it for today. We'll be back next week for more Market Matters. In the meantime, please remember to give us a like, follow, or review wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a question or topic of interest, reach out to us on LinkedIn. You can follow our views at newyorklifeinvestments.com and click the Insights tab. Until then, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And I'm Julia Herman. See you next time. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamats and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I will now read our disclosures from compliance. 
Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which may vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific date, is subject to change, and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or adopt any investment strategy. There's no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is both a service mark and the common trade name of certain investment advisors affiliated with New York Life Insurance Company. Securities are distributed by Nylife Distributors, LLC, 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302, a wholly owned subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company. Nylife Distributors, LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.